Have you ever been minding your business and you just like catch a whiff of your vagina and you're like, oh, 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 now hold on there. We got to check this out. Mm. It might just be BV. We're going to talk all about it. This is Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. As per usual, I am ecstatic that you are joining me today because we always have so much to talk about, and you know I love it when we chat. And last week, we spoke about breastfeeding. We spoke about the good, the bad, the not so good. I can't call it ugly because it's not ugly, but there are definitely, I've had some low moments. <laughs> low moments to accompany all of the many, many, many high moments I've had during nursing. So it was great to have that discussion with you. It was great to hear your thoughts and hear your experiences with breastfeeding as well. Because I think, you know, it's one of those things that if you go through it, whether you do it for a day, a month, a year or more, you still have some shared experiences. So this week we are doing another podcast by request. And by request, I mean someone reached out on social media with some questions and said, hey, I want to talk about this more. And you guys know me yeah, you want to talk about it? I want to talk about it too. I want to talk about it with you. So we're talking about it today. Okay. So we've all been here. You are minding your business. You go to the bathroom and you wipe and you look at the tissue and you're like, Hmm, that looks a little different. That's not quite what I expected. Or you notice the smell and you know, it smells different. Maybe you're sniffing that tissue a few times, but you're like, this does, this doesn't seem exactly what I'm used to. Maybe you just finished having sex or maybe you're still having sex and you or your partner are like, Hmm, that's, that's different or that's not right at all. And it might be BV and per request, as I mentioned, we're devoting a whole podcast to it. So what is BV you ask? BV is the abbreviation for bacterial vaginosis. While we commonly call it a vaginal infection, it is really just an overgrowth of certain types of bacteria in our vaginas. Where does this bacteria come from, you ask? It lives there. It is already there. Our vaginas are home to a number of microorganisms, mostly living in harmony. They've got this great little environment, they're friends, they have a whole system and civilization set up, right? Estrogen plays an important role in maintaining the balance. During our reproductive years, when our ovaries are still making estrogen, so this is going to be before um, menopause, but after puberty, we have an increased storage of sugar known as glycogen in the cells that line our vagina. So in the lining of the vagina, and that encourages the growth and colonization of our vaginas with this bacteria called lactobacilli and lactobacilli creates lactic acid. Lactic acid 
lowers the pH of the vagina to less than 4.5. So it really makes the vagina this acidic environment. And that is great because keeping the vagina acidic helps protect against the growth of bacteria that can cause infections and cause us really to have a lot of problems. And this is necessary since many types of bacteria like Gardnerella vaginalis, um, E. coli, group B strep, genital mycoplasma, and certain types of yeast all live in our vaginas. And all of these things need to be kept in check. And they're kept in check because lactobacilli is making the vagina very acidic to can kind of control everything. Thing. However, sometimes, and I know you know what I'm talking about, sometimes things get a little out of hand and a brief population explosion occurs. It could be the slightest thing. It could be something new. It could be something we've been doing for a while now. And voila, you've got BV. How common is it? According to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, so ACOG, bacterial vaginosis is the most common cause of abnormal vaginal discharge in patients of reproductive age. It is estimated to occur any, in anywhere from 5 to 70% of women or people with vaginas. That's a lot. So that means I'm talking to you, and that means I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what are the causes or the risk factors of BV? The risk factors associated with BV are race, ethnicity, age, douching, smoking, IUD use, and sexual activity. It is more common in black, Hispanic, and Mexican-American women than non-Hispanic white women. And at this point, you are familiar with me now. We have talked about a number of things. So when we have our conversation about how do you keep your vulva and your vagina clean, and I say no douching, even though you've been told to douche by your mama and your mama's mama, aka your grandmama and her mama, no douching because it is shown to increase your risk of vaginal infections like BV. And we're gonna go into it some more, but you're gonna get more information about why a BV infection is not something that you want, as if you didn't already know. So what are the symptoms associated with BV? Most patients are asymptomatic, but those who are not report having an abnormal discharge or noticing a fishy odor after sex or their period. Abnormal discharge is commonly described as thin, watery, and white-gray in color. What complications are associated with the BV infection or with BV? When you have BV, you're at increased risk of getting another genital infection on top of that, such as pelvic inflammatory disease, so PID, and post-procedural gynecologic infections. So think like um, an infection after you have like a GYN surgery or something like that. Um, you also have increased susceptibility to sexually transmitted infections or STIs, things like HIV, herpes simplex virus, which is HSV, type two, so the one that gives you the lesions on your genitals most commonly. And because of this, the CDC recommends testing for other STIs at the time of diagnosis. So testing for things like gonorrhea, chlamydia, HIV, whenever you have a BV infection. 
what should you do if you think you have BV? Well, I know what you actually do and what I do. So many of us, we just go with self-treatment. That's our first step. Oh, I think I have BV. I've had this before. I know what to do. I'm just going to treat myself and this is what I'm going to do. But it's not always the best step to just treat yourself because many vaginal infections can prevent, uh, present with similar symptoms. If you make an appointment with your doctor or other healthcare provider, they're going to ask you a number of questions about your medical and current history. That's going to be questions like the location and duration of your symptoms, because it's really important to figure out, are you having symptoms on your vulva? Are you having symptoms in your vagina? Because BB is not really associated with vulvar symptoms, but having symptoms inside your vagina, things like um, inflammation, irritation, those things are more associated with BB. Other things they'll want to know, any treatments you've already tried. So did you self-treat? And if you did, what did you do? Were you douching? <laughs> your sexual history, your uh, vulval vaginal hygiene practices. So what are you doing to clean your vagina? What are you doing to clean your vulva? Any relationship between your symptoms and your menstrual cycle, and then any other medical conditions that you might have. They're likely going to perform a pelvic exam just to take a look at your vulva, take a look at the walls of your vagina and look for signs of inflammation. And we usually perform a swab of the vaginal discharge for further testing. We evaluate the pH of your vagina and that discharge. We perform a whiff test. And I'm going to just pause here for a moment because you're like, what's a whiff test? A whiff test is exactly what you think it is. So we see you in the office. We put the speculum in your vagina. We take a swab of your discharge and we put it on a little glass slide. Take the slide out of the office. On the slide, we put um, a drop of normal saline, a drop of potassium hydroxide or KOH, it's also known as. And then for the whiff test, you literally put the slide a certain distance from your nose and then use your hand. And I'm like, you're gonna have to watch the YouTube video if you wanna see what I'm actually doing while I say this. But you can imagine, I'm just using my hand to kind of blow air over the slide up to my nose to smell because that interaction of BV and the potassium hydroxide is going to create that amine smell. That's that fishy odor that you smell with BV. And we actually use that as part of our diagnostic criteria. Can you imagine? You never even realize that that's part of what we do, but that is part of what we do. So we do the whiff test. Um, and then also we look closely at your discharge under the microscope and we're looking for something called clue cells. And clue cells happen to be your vaginal epithelial cells, which we can see on the slide, but when they're covered in what we call studded in bacteria, that's something that we see with bacterial vaginosis. There are also commercially available tests for diagnosis, although those aren't all recommended at this time. How do we manage BB? Treatment of symptomatic patients symptomatic patients, so patients with symptoms, it's recommended to help reestablish a healthy vaginal environment. And the recommended treatment involves antibiotics, specifically oral or intravaginal metronidazole or intravaginal clindamycin, but usually we start with metronidazole. Oral metronidazole, so metronidazole by mouth, it can sometimes cause stomach upset. And you know, one thing that patients will say or they'll complain of is one, the size, because the pill tends to be large, and then two, um, 
sometimes they'll say that it makes them feel nauseous and that's not everybody, but that's just a complaint that sometimes uh, patients have whenever they're taking metronidazole, but it can also sometimes cause stomach upset. And in addition, it's generally recommended to avoid alcohol for 24 to 72 hours. So one to three days after treatment with any type of um, nitroamidazoles, and that's going to be tinidazole or metronidazole, due to a potential disulfiram-like reaction. And that reaction is going to cause symptoms like sweating, palpitations, facial flushing, nausea, vertigo, which is dizziness, um, palpitations is fast heartbeat hypotension, so low blood pressure, and tachycardia, which is an increased heartbeat also. Um, And you don't want that. On top of having BV, you don't also want to have this reaction. So we recommend avoiding alcohol for that reason. Now, recurrent BV. For some people, despite treatment, the infection just doesn't seem to go away. This could be due to a new infection or the continuation of the same infection. Following treatment, bacterial vaginosis may recur in up to 30% of patients within three months and 58% within 12 months. So if you've been in that situation where you're like, I just had this, I can't have this again, you are not crazy. If you've had at least three documented separate episodes in one year, you meet the criteria for what we call recurrent bacterial vaginosis. You may be offered an extended treatment to suppress the bacterial growth, or you may have your antibiotic treatment altered altogether, changed altogether. We might just say, you know what, forget it. We're going to try something different. Now, we've been talking about this for a little bit. And after hearing all of this, you might be wondering, is BV an STI? Well, it's not well understood. We don't fully understand how and if BV is transmitted among sexual partners, or at least the how part. It's thought that the spread of bacteria among individuals through sexual intercourse, so through sex, may alter the natural balance of bacteria within the vagina, and that that imbalance leads to the development of BV. For example, We know that Gardnerella vaginalis, which is a type of bacteria that's often found in the vagina and then is often seen as an overgrown bacteria when people have BV, we know that it can spread between women who have sex with women or people who have vaginas who have sex together, right? Either via direct contact or um, direct contact of the mucous membranes or via shared sex toys, which is another reason why I'm always talking to my patients about making sure generally really make sure that if you're going to share share a sex toy that it is clean 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 and there's still some things that are really hard um, to get rid of things like hpv for example but even with all of that said bv is still not considered an sti and treatment of sex partners is not currently recommended with that said if you have bv If you have BV and your partner has a vagina, they may also have BV. So it's important to inform them so that they can just get checked out, see if they have BV as well, and then they can get treated. Are probiotics effective? So, you know, especially when you have recurrent BV, you want to do and find anything that's going to make you feel better, that's going to make your symptoms go away. 
Probiotics remain controversial, okay? So ACOG recommends against probiotics, vaginal or oral, for the treatment of BV to augment um, antimicrobial therapy, so to increase the activity and the treatment with antimicrobial therapy, or to maintain a balanced vaginal ecosystem, basically citing a lack of evidence. However, (laughs) here's the other side of this. Studies have shown that several probiotics, including oral lactobacillus acidophilus, intravaginal, intravaginal lactobacillus acidophilus, and some others that you will see if you look on the blog, because I'm not going to pronounce them all and mispronounce them, but that they can actually increase the number of vaginal lactobacilli and return the vaginal microbiome to normal. And once it's back to normal, what's happening? Well, those lactobacilli are making lactic acid, decreasing the pH, and keeping everything else in check. Also, multiple meta-analysis, including studies that compared placebo. So placebo would be um, something that actually isn't a treatment, but you might think it's a treatment. Comparing that with probiotic-only therapy, and that resulted in improved clinical cure rates with people who use the probiotic-only therapy. Anecdotally, I have had patients who swear by their probiotics. They say I've had recurrent vaginosis, a bacterial vaginosis, and it wasn't until I got on this very specific regimen of a probiotic that my symptoms went away and I felt better. I've also had patients who've used probiotics and they say this didn't work for me. So remember, you're an individual. Your experience and what is actually causing you to have recurrent BV is going to be unique to you. So maybe probiotics will help and maybe they won't. More research is needed, but generally probiotics are benign. And so if you feel like they're going to be helpful, you know, go ahead and give them a try and see if that works for you. What about BV in pregnancy? BV is the most common genital infection in pregnancy as well. Surprise, right? If it's the most common genital infection in reproductive age women and people with vaginas, like, yes, it's going to be the same in pregnancy. Most of those affected, again, don't have symptoms. And the symptoms that they do experience, if they have symptoms, are going to be similar than the non-pregnant people as well. During pregnancy... BV has been associated with different obstetric complications like preterm labor, preterm birth, premature rupture of membranes. So that means your water breaking earlier than expected or when you're actually before your term, before your 37 weeks. Spontaneous miscarriages, chorioamnionitis, which is an infection in the amniotic um, cavity when you're pregnant um, and the amniotic fluid. Uh, certain types of sepsis, cesarean wound infection, so an infection in your wound after you have a C-section, and gynecologic complications like um, post-operative infections, so infections after surgery, and pelvic inflammatory disease. (sighs) Although the exact reason is unknown, it's thought that the bacteria release chemicals, and these chemicals disrupt the barrier that prevents the passage of bacteria through the cervix into the uterus. So once that barrier is disrupted, the bacteria are like, oh, awesome, now we can just go about our business and get into that uterus, and they do. And they continue to release chemicals that increases your risk of preterm labor and can cause preterm labor. So for that reason, The CDC recommends BV treatment for all symptomatic pregnant women, and some will even just treat 
any pregnant women. So not screening, but if they find that you have BV and you are pregnant, they will treat you if, whether you're symptomatic or not. And pregnant women and pregnant people can be treated with any of the recommended regimens for non-pregnant people or non-pregnant women. While metronidazole does cross the placenta, multiple studies have shown that there's not any evidence of teratogenicity or mutagenic effects among the baby. So basically, they're not seeing any effects. It's not affecting the baby. Metronidazole also is secreted in breast milk, but in limited amounts, and hasn't been shown to cause any problems for nursing infants either. So what's the relationship, excuse me, with, um, What's the relationship with BV and menopause? During times of low estrogen, if you remember when we talked way at the beginning, including before puberty and after menopause, BV infections are actually less common. And the vaginal epithelia, so the lining of the vagina is thinner, and you just have less of these infections. However, you know, going back to what we talked about with our low estrogen state, that also means less lactobacilli and the potential for a persistence of a BV infection if you have one. In addition, genital urinary syndrome of menopause, GSM, can also prevent present with similar symptoms. In either case, a discussion with your healthcare provider is needed because really we have to figure out what is it? Is it BV? Is it GSM? Is it recurrent BV? We need to investigate so we can treat you and make you feel better. So it's important to note, just like with what we just discussed with GSM and BV, that a lot of different infections or conditions of the vagina can present like BV. They share similar symptoms, including other infections like um trichomonas or um, yeast. <laughs> I don't know, for some reason, that just like popped out of my head for a second. So it's important to not just self-treat, or if you self-treat and your symptoms don't go away, please, please, please speak with your OBGYN, your primary care provider, or your other healthcare provider so we can evaluate and get you treated. And that, that is our conversation about BV. So we're scratching the surface. As always, if you have um, questions, stories, ideas you want to share, you can always reach out to me or connect with me through social media. Uh, it's uh, Instagram, I have to think about what it is, Lady Parts Doc, Lady Parts D-O-C. <laughs> we have the YouTube channel, Twitter, TikTok, and let, let me know if you have any questions. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the blog. And of course, you're already listening to the podcast, but you the podcast is available on Blueberry, Apple Stitcher, Audible, iHeartRadio, Amazon, tune in. And as always, it's been a pleasure. Until next time. Mm-hmm.